I met Reinhard in May of 2003. Uh, he and Angie had uh, moved to Indonesia just a few months before Susan and, and I and our children, and we were in language school together. Uh, but there's, there's a difference here. Looking at any Europeans in the room, they were, he was learning his sixth language, and I was learning my second language. So we're, we're in this class, and, and, and uh, there's, there's four Germans there, and they're just like jumping way out there, and I'm going, oh. So uh, anyway, sprechen Sie Deutsch? Yeah, yeah, a little bit? Okay. So anyway, uh, we have had the privilege of walking together through a number of different circumstances in life, and... Uh, we just love each other and honor who you are. I, how many of you have had a chance to interact either in Germany or over the last weekend with this guy? Wave at me. Amen. So you're a friend. Amen. This is, uh, this is, these are people who already have begun to, to see some things that I've known for a long, long time in your life. Mm, thank you. Tenderness. There's a, uh, so Reiner's German. He's the least German German I've ever known, which means, and Myers-Briggs, he's out in, in P territory. He's kind of like uh, just, he's an emotional German. He's, a, he's just all these different things. Aren't you? Say something, Ryan. Say something. <laughs> I was wondering what you were telling about me, but... I will cry later. Okay, you cry. That's uh, good. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to learn from you. It's right there. Cry, so I see cry, that. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Love you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, even now, Angie and the children, we're praying for your blessings on them as they've released him. Yes. And uh, uh, so many things that, that are, she's carrying there. We believe that uh, this is a gift. This is part of your life. For them also, that, that they're getting bigger. They're getting more life. They're bringing back encouragement. Ryan is in this whole process of what you're, he's seeing and doing and, and what he's giving here and blessing us. Come in your kingdom, Lord, during this time. We're grateful, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Well, welcome, CFCF. Um, I'm excited to be here. Guten Morgen. Got some German friends here, Miriam, and actually my niece. Yeah, you, yes, there she is. Rebecca is my niece, so I'm the uncle here. And um, I'm excited to, to visit her, to visit you guys, and to have survived World Mandate. <laughs> Woo! It was really great. So actually, yeah, I, the main reason was really to see you and, and, and uh, uh, say thank you so much for ETC, for coming over to Germany, helping us in this huge task of reaching thousands upon thousands of refugees and Muslims. And you did a great job. You should have seen Brie. I mean, the way, the way she did World Mandate, I mean, you can take Brie and just put her to Germany. She would just do the same thing, you know? No irritation, no limitations. She would just be Brie and uh, probably take her to Congo and anywhere. It doesn't matter. So you're awesome. And, and all of you, we, um, we want to say thank you as a church as well, or the elders of the church saying thank you. It's uh, who of, uh, those of you who do not know what church I'm talking about, or well, you have to ask Mark or anybody from ETC. It's, uh, 
uh, a small city in Germany um, near Dusseldorf, and um, that's where I am, uh, part-time staff responsible for the migration and refugee work. I've been in Indonesia, same length as, as the Buckners, and when we came back to Germany, we found a ripe harvest field of so many open and hungry people that came from all different places of the world, and especially from the, from the closed Muslim countries. So we've been doing this for four years now, and uh, so uh, when Mark called me, I'm just trying to brief this a little bit, um, make, it, make it really brief. He called me one day and said, do you have refugees in your city? I said, yes, come over. Uh, well, how many people you need? I said 15, and I, he understood 1,500, right? So a <laughs> little bit communication problem there. But we managed, and we had a great time with you guys. And, and you came at a time when our church needed help the most um, because basically the time ETC, all the teams came, and especially the interns and, and, the, and the leadership and, and John and, of course, uh, I, I've got to mention Phil as well and, and Leslie, but uh, um, the prickets and, uh, came first, and then we had our pastor, our senior pastor, he, he suddenly realized he can't, he, can't, he can't work anymore. I mean, he realized he had a burnout. You know, burnout doesn't happen like that, but he realized he needs leave. He needs, like, a sabbatical. So until now, actually, he's on the sabbatical, and the elders were struggling to keep everything running, and uh, things were going a little bit emotionally, a little bit down, and then suddenly our services were filled with young, vibrant, excited, excited people for Jesus from Boston, and they were like, yeah, let's go, Jesus, and uh, our services have never been like that before. In actually a time of crisis, we had amazing guest speakers, we had amazing time with you guys, and so we are, we are really eternally grateful. And then um, also for Phil, you're an amazing man. And, and I know, you know, what, what makes a man amazing is his wife. So it's just awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they came to Germany with, with the twins, you know. With, I mean, two, two little girls. And I was so amazed that, um, that they said, okay, we take the challenge, but we can't take the family with us. So I could tell you so many stories, but my heart is full. Uh, we got the first slide, please. My heart is full to tell you a little bit about, yeah, what is, what is happening in Germany. And I have to somehow manage the task of looking at the same time what is happening here. So um, this is my beautiful family. We have two adopted children, as you can see, from Indonesia. And um, two of our own. And it's exciting to live in diversity. And, uh, and, and we love nations. We love ethnic groups. We love Indonesia. And... Um, so it is a privilege for us to be still engaged in intercultural ministry, although we are back in Germany. So we are still missionaries, we're still intercultural, and we're still looking for workers. Okay? Got it? Yes. So, um, got the eye contact here. So that's what we've been seeing, the images on TV and social media for the last um, uh, two or three years. Um, just tragedies just tragedies of individual stories. And, yeah, I would, I would love to, to, to really be explicit and share all this, but uh, it's not a coincidence, actually, that now I'm here because I, I watch the news and I see that America is in a similar situation that we are facing in Germany now because 
well, where we have taken a lot in, and here something else is developing, still you are, you are, you are faced with this question, uh, how many can we take in? And whom can we take in? And, and what should we do? And how should we respond? So I want to talk a, about that a little bit before I, I go to the Word of God. So um, there is a politician, uh, it's not, not, not my role model really, but um, he said a very good word. He said, whoever exploits the whole world must not be surprised if misery is knocking on the door. So that perspective uh, was helping us as the German church to realize, yes, we are living in a global world. We cannot say, okay, we, we just build a fence. We just block each other off because we are also part of the problem. We are also, you know, we, Germany has been selling weapons, has, been, has become rich by selling weapons to, to other countries and um, has been exploiting uh, the resources of other nations. And now we, we should not be surprised should not be surprised, and we do have a responsibility. The question, of course, is how far does this responsibility go? And this is not a picture from an American city. Actually, it's from a German city. We have these opposing opinions. You know, refugees welcome was a very inward for, uh, for, the, for the last two years, and you could see it everywhere, and it was politically correct. But then there were groups that felt left out. There were groups that felt afraid. There were groups that felt, um, wow, what happened? What's happening with Germany? We're having an influx of, of, of Islam, and what, what's going to happen in 20 years when Islam is, is multiplying uh, by numbers and Germany is declining and Germans are declining? So they said Mohammed is not welcome. It's very interesting that when we look at the Bible, we're actually reading a lot of refugee stories, right? Have you, seen, have you noticed that? Have you noticed that, that the story of mankind is partly written by stories of people seeking, for, seeking refuge? And it all started with Adam and Eve. You know, they were the first internally deplaced people. <laughs> and who deplaced them? Who deported them? God himself. You know, he said, you cannot stay long, you cannot longer stay in this, in this place, in this garden. And they had to go out. And when they, were, when, they, when they wanted to go back, there was no visa for them. And they were not Muslims. <laughs> you know, they were excluded. They were out there. And ever since, humanity has been seeking for refuge, has been seeking for a place where they can feel secure, where grace would cover them. Ever since Adam and Eve... We realize that the story with mankind has to do with migration, has to do with finding a place that we can call home. We just go the next generation, Cain. Cain killed Abel, and then he was a, per people, a person on the run, right? A person on the run, and he was scared that other people would find him and kill him, so God put a mark on his forehead. God did not want violence to become viral. He wanted to, and to, to put, in, put a stop to violence, so he, he gave Cain a city of refuge, a sanctuary city. And this imagery is amazing in two ways. For one way, the church of God has to rise and understand its responsibility of being a sanctuary place for people that need refuge. The Church of God in Germany 
has a unique situation that we can give asylum within the church boundaries, within the church building, to people who are on the run, not as criminals, but people who are seeking refuge. So there are a lot of churches, in, not a lot, but there are some churches in Germany that actually giving asylum to a Syrian refugee or Iraqi refugee or somebody that has not received the proper papers from the government to be able to stay. And they say, you can stay in our church building until we can get another solution. Um, at the same time, ever since Adam and Eve have been expelled from paradise, mankind has been, has been searching, has been on the search for a place they can call home, right? And they were, they were destined to seek this place they can call home seek it on this cursed ground. And ever since, human, humanity has been seeking to build its home on this cursed ground, knowing that it's going to be taken away someday anyway. So if we do not find our home with God, we are in the cycle of always searching, always trying to find refuge, find a place where grace can cover us. So that makes us all on eye level, on eye level with refugees, we are just at the same stage we're looking for home. And as you can see from this picture, there are people that are afraid of losing this home, losing their identity, losing this belonging. And um, the sense of belonging. And at the same time, there are people coming into our country, they lost their home, and they're trying to find home in Germany, just at the place where other people are afraid to losing it. Next, the most dangerous worldviews are the worldviews of those who have never viewed the world. There yeah, an interesting quote from somebody who lived many, many years before today, Alexander von Humboldt, a German scientist. Um, in Leviticus, we read that the foreigner, in, verse, uh, in chapter 19, verse 33, the foreigner residing among you or, uh, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So God is saying, do not forget where you come from. And we, as being the people of God, grafted into the, into the, the, the vine, into the history of Israel, that is our history. We have been slaves, not only spiritually, but, but yes, we have been in bondage. We have been, our ancestors came from, e from Egypt. They were in slavery. So do not forget where you come from. And I, I, like, I love these prayers we heard this morning about our, our responsibility to care about those who feel like foreigners in our country. So... Treat them as your native born. That's an interesting verse we are learning as a German church right now because refugees welcome is easily said, but how do you spell it out? How do you spell it? Um, because there are people coming with all these different worldviews, all these different ideas how you treat women, ideas about how religion should be acted out, and uh, sometimes it's a little scary. So we learned, no, integration and opening our our, our nation to people from different countries and, and walks of life 
means they also have to learn our values. They have to agree with our values. How we, how we see women, how we see equal, you know, equality among gender, how we, see, uh, um, how we, uh, how we value violence or, or, or the opposite of it. And so they have to coincide to our values and they have to um, learn our language in order to do that as well. So it's, it's, we're on an interesting path. And it's not, it's not one extreme, it's not black and white, but we tend, to, uh, we tend to go from one extreme to the other because of fear. But Gandhi once said, the enemy is not hate, you know, it's fear. We think it's hate, but it is fear. So a lot of things we read on, on the social media, are, are, they come out of this fear, this fear of, of, of what's going on in our world. So social media, yeah. That's all I have to say to that. <laughs> Next. Um, our culture, there's a guy we like in, America, we like in Germany. He's, he's well-known, Rick W. I don't know, maybe I know him. Rick Warren. <laughs> uh, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear them or hate them. You're homophobe. The second is that To love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. So as a body of Christ, we have to learn that. That that the word compassion is not just a feeling. It It is a feeling. It needs to be a feeling. It needs to stay a feeling. But it's also compassionate. It also means that we are wise and that we do not compromise with our convictions and what we think the Word of God says clearly. So I, 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 um, I could tell you stories, individual people. This guy from Pakistan, Shahid, he's been baptized in the river. Didn't want to get baptized in the church because he was afraid. He said, baptize me first. I want to face persecution later. I mean, we baptized Wakas from Pakistan in the church and uh, somehow this picture got spread around through WhatsApp. You know, WhatsApp is very common in Germany. So the, the whole Muslim community of our town, they are somehow connected with WhatsApp, and they got his picture and his name, and said, oh, here we got a murtad. You know what a murtad is? Somebody that, that, that left Islam, the biggest sin that there is in the world. So they posted him, and, and on the street, you know, he was like mocked at, and he was like scoffed at, how could you leave Islam? So we are experiencing persecution even in Germany. And um, so he, he uh, this is another story that how he got baptized. Actually, ETC has a big thing to do why he got baptized, but that's a big story. Anyway, you can, you can ask people from ETC. So, so he got baptized, and now he wanted to tell his parents in Pakistan, right? And um, he called his mother, and she said, son, you know, you're, you're grown up now. You just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. And then he, called, he talked to his father and said, Dad, um, if I want to stay in Germany, actually I have to become a Christian, which is not 100% true. It could be true, but it was quite, quite clever to say that. And his father said, son, you better be dead. Come home right away. Um, so he is somebody longing for the acceptance of a father. This, then there is... Um, there is Salin. Salin is not on this picture, but Salin told me he's been like this. He looked like this before. Now he is strong and fat. But he looked like this before because 
just because of being black, he was in a Libyan prison for two years with so many people in one room they couldn't even lay down to sleep. Um, they got one piece of bread every day and, and water that tasted like salt, like salt water. And he was a Muslim. He was just there because he was black. And for two years, every morning, he would hear the Christians among the Nigerians, they were all Nigerians, clap their hands and say, come on, let's worship the Lord. And they stood up and they worshiped the Lord. And he just worshiped with them because he didn't know what to do else. And um, two years later, a rich Nigerian Christian bailed him out with money. And he was able to come to Germany. And there, he was still a Muslim, but he was a confused Muslim. Many of the refugees are confused Muslims. Why, why isn't the Muslim world doesn't take us in? Why is it the Christians take us in? Give us refuge. And he was confused in his heart. They asked him at the sign-up, you know, the registration of refugees, what religion? And he said, I'm a Muslim. He was full of, full of confusion inside of him. That's, that's the reality of many of those. And he also had the same story. One day he woke up in the refugee camp and he said, something was knocking at the door of my heart. Something was knocking at the door of my heart. And he was like, I want to become a Christian. Finally, it dawned on him. And, and, and so he got baptized also in our church. And he's a wonderful brother in the Lord because I could see his change so radically. He said, when I received Christ, I was able to love Muslims. I was able to love Arab people, Libyan people. That is just a miracle. So he also called his mother. He said, and his mother said, do what you need to do, but do it wholeheartedly. And that set him free, and that he broke through to become a really radical follower of Jesus. But he also was longing for this acceptance of his father. And his father, he had 18 wives. Um, you know, he was just one of many, many, many children. And he would not be able to talk to his father on the phone and even tell him about his greatest love. And then there's Farid. Farid is just three years old. He's one of five Nigerian siblings, four, four, four boys, one girl. And they are all being taken care of by their mother. No father, just a Nigerian mother, also on refugee status, five children. Can you imagine that? In a home. And now my wife has this compassionate heart, so she takes them in every Saturday not every Saturday, but sometimes Saturday, they, they come over, play in our house. And my adopted son, Josiah, he gets jealous. He's like, Daddy's playing with these kids? Maybe he doesn't like me anymore? So he's like always angry when they come. So my wife has really to struggle to how to get these together. But for me, the cutest thing is, I walk into the house, and little Farid looks up and says, Papa. <laughs> and so I, I, see, I see the need for fatherhood. I just want to kind of... Um, tell you a little bit about my, my personal story because the last time I was in the States was 22 years ago. I um, visited a friend in Mich Michigan who was also a missionary to Germany. He was the one discipling me, uh, uh, becoming a follower of Christ. And he took me to one of his church elders, Michigan Grand Rapids. And um, this guy, old daddy guy, you know, cuddly bear, gray hair, just loving guy. He fed me good food for lunch. So remember the cornbread and the... the anyway, so... I'm going to have that later. I'm getting hungry now. Why? Okay. And then um, he sat me down. He said, Ryan, I've been praying for you. I said, what? You, you don't know me? You pray for me? What's happening? He said, God told me God wants you to become a father. I was like, wow. I was, I was 21 years old. That's pretty scary. 
<laughs> well, at that point, I didn't know what that meant because it took us a lot of struggles to become parents, for me to become father, outwardly and inwardly. First of all, I have to say that my father, he, he, he didn't beat me like, you know, um, Francis Chan was telling at the first sermon. His father would tie him to a tree and, and break branches on him. My father never did this. He, I think he only slapped me once, and then he was sorry for it. And I felt like I deserved it anyway. <laughs> but he slapped me with his words. You know what? Not with the words that were spoken, but with the words that were not spoken. That can be cruel, cruel as, as, as beatings with a stick. Maybe even crueler. So I was a fatherless guy. God found me with 21 years of age. He showed me that he is my father who loves me unconditionally. And it changed my whole life. It gave me the power of this love which made me into a new person. Actually made me into the person I was created to be. And then, to make a long story short, I met my wife, Angie, you saw in the picture. And we longed to become parents. It took us eight years, eight years to wait and come over disappointment and to f believe again. And then there were some prophets who prophesied, like, oh, this year you have a child. But anyway, you have to go over that, you know, and waiting and waiting. And then finally we had the chance in Indonesia, and Susan was our pediatrician, uh, to adopt a little child, adopt a leader. And the, the same day, we, and she held the baby in her hand, five days old, she became pregnant. And then, yeah, how it goes, you know, all the relief and all the, ah, yeah, finally I'm a mother. And then that baby died at birth because of, actually, it was not the proper medical treatment. And we had to go to the grief. And then we adopted Josiah. And then, and then in, the wake, in the wake of... Um, Tsunami, remember tsunami hitting Sumatra? We were on Sumatra and I went to Aceh and, and, and wow, grieving with these people. Still my, my, my wound was not yet healed from losing my first son. Grieving with these people there in Aceh. And then there was a big scam, big scandal about, you know, Indonesian, Acehese people. Uh, kids take, were taken out, out of the country like a, some kind of um, human trafficking, right? So the, when we were trying to adopt our second son, the government was looking at our adoption. They were like, oh, this might be human trafficking. Oh, anyway, he's from a Muslim background. That's not possible. Then they looked at the adoption that was already fixed for my daughter. Oh, she was from a Muslim background. So they revoked it from the Supreme Court. So for one year, we were like afraid of losing these two kids we had. Finally, God gave an awesome breakthrough. We could keep them. Then we had another child, Jonathan. When Jonathan was like our first biological son we could hold, when he was two and a half years old, he lost his speech and we got the uh, diagnosis that he's autistic. He was disappearing behind this wall of fog and not communicating anymore with us. Then we, we, went, we went, shock, disbelief, trauma, went back to Germany, had our next son, Joel. I just want to tell you that it was not easy for us to have children to keep them. And it was not easy for me to, to be a father. Now I'm a f happy father of, three, of four children, 
5, 1 in heaven. But I tell you one thing, to become a father inwardly, it's a story that God is writing on our hearts, to become a, a mother in Christ, to become a father in Christ. That is what God wants us to be, amen? For those people who are bleeding, who are hurting, for these refugees, I mean, these guys, they all call me father, you know. They call me, you're my father. And then they say, you're my brother. And it's getting confusing. But, <laughs> but um, for them, it's no problem. Even this older guy from, anyway. So he calls me, you know, he's like 55 and he calls me father. It's amazing. It's amazing how God has made me into a father for all nations, you know, like Abraham. And it's, but it's a story behind it. And, and, you know, it hasn't even finished yet. I'm still learning what grace means. And there was a time in my life when I went to, through a lot of despair. I, was, I, was, I could not see how God could have all this happen in my life, and I felt like totally dry and worn out. And it, it made me to cling on to God as the last reserve I, reserve I had. I was like, God, either you or nothing. And I, I remember that the nights were like nightmares. But I said, God, I just cried out to God, God, show yourself to me like you've never before. And I had, I had the feeling if the gospel doesn't work for me, for whom should it work? If the gospel is not good news for me, how can I tell other people about it? So God showed me through a revelation, that there was something in my heart that did not allow me to see God as a father who would just be smiling on me, just be saying in this song. He showed me that I was still a little bit insecure about, would he really? I mean, I know he loves me, but does he actually like me? I know God loves me. There was no doubt in my heart, but does he actually enjoy me? <laughs> does he actually look at me with, with joy and with a smile or was it with a frown and saying, why don't you know that you have to seek after me, you have to search me? You know, you're trying, but not enough, you know. <laughs> seek harder. So, so I had a revelation of this, of this grace abounding, grace being sufficient for me. And... Um, so, okay, I gave you a little bit, in, uh, uh, blick, you know, we say in German, blick, a little bit of sight into, into what that meant for me to become a father. And I want to, still have 10 minutes, right? I want to go on. My home is my castle. Well, um, there were, there's a German word called Heimat. And it, it, it means home, it means homeland. I wrote down a definition. I created. I think it's pretty good. When our world gets threatened, we fear losing the sense of belonging, of identification, of intimate community, of orientation, of self-assurance. I've, I've, I've talked about this. So people are building fences, right? People are building their home. People are building something they feel like they need security. There's one lady in Hamburg. She bought a house with a big fence, and she said, if I read the, things of the, the, the news about refugees coming to Germany, I'm laughing because... No refugee can ever climb my fence, you know. She was really, she was really assured that this, this home on earth is our eternal destination. So in Hebrew, I just want to scan this quickly. Hebrew 11, it says, Abraham, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. Ten, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So I want to tell you this morning that we also, we have our home, our heimat in heaven, right? We're looking forward for this secure place, for this place God has, 
has been preparing for us for the last 2,000 years. Hebrew 13, it says in verse 14, For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. And I love my house in Germany. I love to be at home. And I think God is totally for it. He loves for you to make a nice home for yourself, but never forget that your real home is with God. It's in the security of, of God's presence and will. So um, I, want, I want us to read a psalm together. Actually, no, I don't want that because uh, we're losing time. Okay, just skip that. You can, you can read that to, 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 to at home, yeah? 142 is a good refugee psalm. Next. Next. Okay, yes. I want, you to teach, uh, I want to teach you a, a, not a German word, but a, um, a Greek word. Actually, it's, it's, it's become an English word, if you have not known it. It's called peripatetic. Peripatetic? Say it in, say it in English. Okay, that's, that sounds better. That sounds better. Thanks, Mark. Um, it's Greek. It's become Latin, and then it became French, and then it became English. Now it's here. <laughs> and now it arrived in Boston. Um, you know the word periphery? It means around, and then path. Path. So a path means walk. So it means walk around. Yeah, you can read. Walk around. <laughs> Walk up and down. So it's, it's not pathetic, right? <laughs> when we walk with Christ, we're not, we're not pathetic. I mean, we Germans have a difficult with a TH, you know. That's why I sh if there was a TH, I would be saying peripathetic, like sinking, you know. When Germans are thinking, they are sinking. <laughs> so, you know, all the German Coast Guard getting confu confusion, you know, when they're, uh, mayday, mayday, we are sinking. And the German Coast Guard, what are you thinking about? <laughs> It's getting really dangerous. <laughs> Gotta watch it on YouTube, okay? German Coast Guard. It's really embarrassing for us Germans. Really embarrassing. So don't laugh in front of me, I'm, I'm feel offended. Um, peripatetic is a great word I found in the Bible because Paul uses, uses it as many times. And you know where it comes from? It comes from Aristoteles, which, who lived before Paul. So Paul must have been thinking about the school Aristoteles had school of thought, and um, his followers were called peripatetics because they were following him around, you know, and they had this, they had this place in this building, I forgot what it was called, and they were just walking up and down and discussing serious matters with, with, with Aristoteles. So they were walking disciples, and I think that's a beautiful picture Paul is using here in, in, in um, Ephesians. We will come to Ephesians just a second. So just uh, uh, come again with this, let's, let's come again with this word, peripatetic. What does it mean? It means migrant. So we are a migrant people. We are um, disciples of Christ following Jesus. And I, I like what uh, Francis said, you know, if you follow Jesus, what do you get? Wealth and health? No, you get Jesus, yes. So following him around, but we're following him in a way that is unsettled because our home is with God. In a way that is Nomadic, because we are nomads, we live in tents, like Abraham. In a way that it's itinerant, because we are, we are always ready to travel to different places, staying there for a short while. Just like a military life back then, or even now, 
always ready, always mobile. That's the people we, we ought to be. And it doesn't always have to be outside of our country because inside of our country there's so many places God wants to put us. So God wants to keep us on the move, people on the move. He wants to keep us people that are peripatetic. Um, in Ephesians 5, I want to read a couple of verses at the end. And Paul talks about, in this one chapter, he talks three times about the walk in Christ, the walk as a Christian, and then he uses this word peripatetic. Ephesians 5, let us start with verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk, peripatetic, in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, Verse 2, walk in love, agape. But among you there must be no, not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse choking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For this, is, for this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of thus, such things, sorry, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, eight, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Peripatetic, okay? Live means walk. Walk as children of life, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness righteousness, and truth. We are to walk as children of light. Photos, actually the word in, Greekish, in Greek. <laughs> so, um, so we are to, to live in a relationship with the Lord where, where, where we let other people speak into our lives, right? Where we have, where we have a peer group. And I don't know if this probably is already very common here, but, but in the hectic and, and, and the busyness of life, Sometimes we, we lose track on that. To have a group of friends, a group of brothers or sisters we can talk to and we can open our lives and they can look into our lives so that we, that we live and walk in the light. And then it, it goes on. It says, um, I have nothing to do with the fruitful, fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything opposed to the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then, 15, how you live. Peripatetic, peripatetic, okay? Peripatetic, I even have problem, problem saying this. Peripatetic, as you live, that means be careful as you walk, or how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And I wrote down, walk wisely as a go-getter, making use of every opportunity. We heard about this at the conference, and we heard about this in the testimonies this morning. Like Jimmy Cyber said, walk to the pain. Walk towards the pain. Walk towards the opportunity intentionally, where you can have a chance to sit with Hispanic people if you're white and not with your own peer 
to, to break those boundaries of race, of gender, and purposefully, intentionally break that, that culture around us and say, no, I'm going to be different because I'm going to be like Jesus. So we are supposed to be go-getters. We're supposed to be people who walk wisely. Why? What is wisely? What does it mean? It means that we redeem every moment. And it, it's not supposed to be something that, that um, yeah, we feel like, okay, now I cannot be myself anymore. Do I have to be steered by this intentional life? And it makes it all, all very, very unnatural. No, because Paul is explaining right here. Therefore, do not get, uh, do not be 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we walk as go-getters in this attitude and in this uh, spirit of we are filled with the Spirit, we are filled with the song, and we're filled with thankfulness. You know, if you're filled with the Spirit of with the Holy Spirit, then then you live from a from a different source. You don't live out of your own source. I think that's the only reason why the band was able to even play today. You go, band, you're awesome. <laughs> I, I I don't out of my I, yeah, I was like really like wow. World mandate plus Sunday morning. I don't know your leadership. They're really exhausting you. <laughs> no, but they know you live out of the Holy Spirit, right? So and then. Um, Filled with a song, right? If we intentionally, we say, okay, I set my heart onto a tune, then you cannot, you know, you cannot sing a song not being happy. You cannot sing a song like grumbling. There is joy involved. Even if joy doesn't have to be always visible, we, we Germans, we can be like this and be very joyful. <laughs> yeah, very joyful. So don't, don't judge from the outward, right? <laughs> don't judge a German by its cover. But be filled with a song and then filled with thankfulness man that is something i um i also learned from you guys you're great guys yeah so we we learn from each other as we heard before when we need different cultures to be able to become more like jesus because not every culture has it all we need one another so to come to a closing i want to encourage us to be peripatetic people people on a migrant level, I mean migrant mode, unsettled, wandering, walking up and down with Jesus, nomadic, saying, no, Jesus, I love my home, and my home is my, my castle, and that's where my heart is, but Lord, actually my heart is with you, and actually my home is just an outward expression of what I have with you, Lord. Actually, my beautiful home or whatever, wherever I live, wherever I have my cozy corner, is just a physical expression of what I have with you, Lord. And what I have with you is so much more substantial, so much more lasting, so much more life-giving than what I ever could build for myself on this earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we cannot do this. We cannot give ourselves identity. Only you can do it, Lord. And as we yield our hearts to you this morning, God, and as we've heard a lot about refugees on the move, all about people hurting, people seeking for, for love, for acceptance, seeking for a father, for a mother in Christ, a mother, a father with un unconditional love to give. Lord, we are, we are just here. We're in our brokenness, but we're not broken. 
We're in our limitations, but we are, we are not with limits with you, Lord. And we are just stretching out our arms and our hearts to you this morning, saying, Lord, wherever there is a, wherever there is a path in our hearts that wants to just settle down, that wants to just stay put, and just wants to find security and, and a safe place on our own strength, Lord, help us. Help us to stand up and get walking. Help us, Lord, to walk in love, in love to all people, to all people, Lord. Help us to walk as children of light in this transparent, accountable lifestyle and help us to walk wisely, Lord, as people who redeem every moment you're giving us. May it be in the Uber taxi, may it be in, um, at the college, at the cafeteria, May it be just as you lead our thoughts and lead our heart as we are communicating on social media, trying to connect with people, but also people we meet and people we know, and our family members. Lord, that we always yield to be filled by the Spirit. That we realize we, we can only live out of your resources, and out of your well of, of, of salvation which is a source of love a source of joy a source of strength I just as we have our eyes closed I just ask you if you want to raise your hand I would like to pray for you if I may pray for you to become this migrant people of God Peripateo, the people on the move of God, yeah, thank you thank you, I'd like to pray for you yes, thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Lord, we live in very special times and we need a very special blow of your wind of your Holy Spirit, we need, we need a very special touch for these times we live in to be the people of God you want us to be so I bless my brothers and sisters and those who, who respond to your word, Lord, I pray, God, right now, you're touching their heart with your grace and showing them what secure and eternal place you have prepared for them and what exciting, adventurous ways you have already opened up for them to be engaged in the things of your heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.